So years ago, um, that became kind of my mantra. You know, I used to get interviewed so often uh, back in the day, and, and I'd get that question. You know, and I'd say, you know, it's, it's I'm proud. It's an honor uh, to be the only Black athletic director in the you know Mid American Conference, or the first Black athletic director at Iowa State University, or the first Black athletic director as president of NACTA, blah blah blah. But I said that's not that's not what it's all about. What's about for me is to be the best. And I, and, and I held true to that because uh, I had an, a belief that if I failed, it would give an excuse for hiring authorities not to hire a black athlete. Hey everybody, this is Michael Red, and welcome to the Betting on Yourself podcast, where I interview successful entrepreneurs, athletes, and other top performers who rose to the top took success into their own hands, and bet on themselves. Gene and I had great rapport from the moment we met back in 2004, and he remains one of the most important people in my life. He is now in his 13th year as the Director of Athletics at The Ohio State University and has been named one of the most powerful people in collegiate sports. He heads up a department that sponsors 36 fully funded varsity sports with more than 1,000 student athletes competing for Big Ten conferences and NCAA championships. He is passionate about creating an environment for students to thrive academically, athletically, and socially. And that's because he learned the importance of focusing on yourself first in order to be able to serve other people well. We talk about his journey from growing up on the east side of Cleveland to his first athletic director role at Eastern Michigan and how it's okay to be selfish sometimes. Welcome, my friend, Gene. For those who are listening, um, uh, this is pretty much a conversation that we would normally probably have on the golf course. That's right. Um, and so we're going to just transition that conversation to the podcast. But uh, Gene is is uh, certainly one of the more important people in my life, uh, and he is uh, very influential in, in a lot of decisions I made over the years pertaining to life in general. And so he's, he's beyond just the athletic director and vice president of the university of, of the Ohio state university, but he's like an uncle as well. So this is kind of personal, but uh, it's so good to have you on the podcast Gene, today with us. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity. And I just so enjoy spending time with you. And I'm so uh, happy for you and Akia and proud of all the things that you've accomplished in life and your children and just, uh, Phenomenal opportunity to spend time with you every time we get a chance. Yeah, it, it, you know, I feel the same. And I, I met you uh, back in 2004, I think, right. when you That's first right. took the job at Ohio State. And it, you kind of knew what kind of person you were then because when I heard the news that we had a new AD at the university, I would happen to be home in off season, And I went up to go see you doing a parade uh, for you. And you were in the car and I ran up to the car and you spent time with me just saying, hey, you never met me before ever, but we spent time, you know, while you were in the midst of being celebrated and all that. And then you said, let's connect. And we wound up connecting and it's, it's been incredible since then. Yeah, it has. You know, uh, you, you've had an unbelievable career and, and uh, what you've done and, and obviously uh, being so embedded and in, in, in connected to Columbus, it was great for me. To have the opportunity to get to know you and 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 learn about what it means to be a Buckeye, uh, to understand what I needed to try and do as the athletic director at Ohio State for our student athletes, because you were one of them. And, uh, but then also to learn uh, through you uh, 
about Columbus and your experience growing up in Columbus. And uh, so it was a two-way street relative to learning. And um, and I was blessed to have that opportunity to meet you early because uh, you you helped me transition as well. Wow. Well, there's obviously, as you can hear, a love fest going on, but the, the Gene will never, ever probably ride in a golf cart with me again. That's the inside joke that we'll probably get to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not, I don't have to have uh, insurance in order to do that. <laughs> yeah, I love walking the course. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's your journey to me is has been remarkable, um, and I want to go back a little bit to that. Um, but I want to first ask you, what has it meant to you to bet on yourself? To to bet on myself is uh, uh, something that's amazing to. When I think about that, um, I, I go all the way back to the east side of Cleveland where I grew up. And, you know, my, I've always been fortunate uh, to um, make sure uh, that I understand that the best person to take care of you is you. And um, I've had kind of the total sum of our experiences in life and uh, I've always felt that there, the one thing that I can control is me. And, and, and that goes all the way back to, you know, my little red wagon on Cedar and Fairhill in, in Cleveland and all the things that uh, I experienced as a young kid. Um, and it's, it was, it was always instilled in me to, to focus on what I can take care of. And that's me. And so, uh, I've been blessed in my life to have some, some great experiences, uh, particularly when I found my career path. And and I would have to say, relative to that question, um, I'd have to say it's because it's sometimes in life you have to be selfish. And when you're trying to bet on yourself, uh, it requires you to be selfish to some degree. And, um, and make sure you take care of yourself and focus on yourself and do, do what you have to do to get yourself better. And there's a lot around that. Uh, but uh, I made a decision a long time ago that if I'm going to achieve the things that I ultimately want to achieve, um, I have to control me and I have to trust me and, and do the things that I have to do to um, basically um, bet on myself. Was there a specific moment in middle school, high school, college even? And there's been a number of, I know, moments probably throughout your life where you had to do this. Was there a specific moment early on where you you had to bet on yourself? Oh man, there's so many. <laughs> Mike, that's a deep question. You know, you know, I you know, I can go all the way back to and you mentioned middle school and, and thinking about you know Charles W. Elliott Middle School in Cleveland and and you know there were so many times when you know where I grew up. You know, you if you work with your friends. Uh, walking home, uh, you put yourself in danger. And uh, there were a lot of times I wasn't with my friends and I had to, okay, figure out a strategy in order to get from, you know, Charles Elliott to to my home, which, you know, at that age seemed like it was like 30 miles and was frankly only two and a half. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, but, you know, you, you dip it and dodge it. And, and uh, so you... You know, early on, um, that that was a moment. There were moments in time like that where I had to do that, or 
you know, I'd want to go to a party somewhere across the tracks and my guys wouldn't go with me. So I'd have to go by myself if I really wanted to go and took the risk and did it. Um, but then there were a lot, there were times as I, I went on into college and, um, you know, I, I was blessed to have uh, great roommates and, and good teammates. And, um, but I, there were times when, you know, I, I had to become a loner in order to accomplish things. I, you know, my, my two, first two roommates, they liked to party. And, uh, you know, I was that guy uh, that on a Friday night that would be in the room uh, studying until, you know, 10 o'clock. And then I'd go party. Um, but my partners, they start at six. <laughs> so, you know, so there's so many moments in my life, um, you know, where uh, I, I took a path um, to where I focused on myself and, um, you know, when I, you know, when I became the athletic director at Eastern Michigan University at the age of 29, uh, there were only two black athletic directors at the time. And, and they called it Division 1A at that time. It's 110 schools. And, and there were so many times I was the only one in the room. And, and even though I knew what I might face to go to some of those meetings, because it was more covert than overt, but it was there. Um, you know, I, I, I remain, maintained my strength and went uh, because I needed to be there. And um, there's just so many moments. I, I can't say that there's one moment, Mike. There's just a lot of it. Like when I think about this, I can just give a, a lot of exact yeah. examples of, you know, where I had to say to myself, okay, you, you have to do this. Uh, and, and I got better because I did that. Uh, so there's a lot of You were named... Um by Black Enterprise, uh, one of the most powerful African-Americans in sports. Did those early moments in school at Notre Dame, transitioning out of school to being, you know, one of two ADs in the whole country that are African-American, did those moments kind of prepare you to where you wind up becoming? No, it's no question. So in the ninth grade, my dad sat me down and, and told me I was not going to go to John F. Kennedy High School. I've uh, been in public schools all my life, and the natural order of life was to go from Charles Haley to John F. Kennedy. And he said, you're going to go to Chanel High School out from Bedford Heights, Ohio. Um, and I bust out there. It was uh, about north of 500, all boys, uh, all white, three black kids in the school. Uh, and that's when my eyes were open. Um, and I learned so much. Um, it was the first time I actually ever participated in organized sports. Because um, we didn't have organized sport where I grew up, you know, we had rec sports and things of that nature, but in pickup. And so uh, I, that was the first time I actually, you know, put on pads and a helmet and a full uniform in football and actually played on a real basketball team. So um, played baseball with real clothes on. So um, my experiences uh, in meeting um, people in that environment from different walks of life uh, uniquely prepared me. Um, and then when I went to Notre Dame, I was better prepared. Uh, and, and, and that opened my eyes uh, to the differences in people. And I began to embrace that. And, and so um, I coached for four years and went to IBM and learned business and then got into athletic administration from there. But those experiences at Chanel High School at Notre Dame, um, being around diverse people that I didn't grow up with uh, from, you know, 
K through nine, um, just just was phenomenal for me. Uh, so I never traveled in those circles, and you know I knew the, the son of Coca Cola. I mean, of the people who own Coca Cola, the people who own McDonald's. I, I started to become friends with these very affluent people that I had never had been exposed to, and so uh, yes, those those experiences uh, positioned me extremely well uh, for the opportunities I ended up having. How did you go from IBM to being an athletic director? Man, that was that was a crazy one, Mike. That was wild. So I, when I graduated from Notre Dame, I was um, the head coach asked me to stay on and, and be a, a graduate assistant, and I became a full time assistant. And uh, I was a backup player; I was never a starter. I played on special teams, and I was that locker room guy. You know, I kind of held things together. And, and he recognized that. And so he kept me on staff, my coach, for four years. And then when he retired, I was going to go get my MBA. And and uh, at that time in 1981, going to IBM training school was equivalent to getting your MBA. So uh, I did that. Um, then I, I was selling computers to the manufacturing, distribution, legal, and medical industries and, and doing well. Um, but I didn't love it. And I found myself chasing a quota, uh, chasing the bonuses and commission. And I found myself chasing money. My dad always told me to find a career. So the defensive coordinator that I played for uh, had become the athletic director at Eastern Michigan University. And um, he called me out of the blue. And I think it came from me having conversations with mutual friends that, you know, I wasn't in love with my IBM work. Uh, it was a job, not a career. And he um, he called me out of the blue. He said, hey, I, you know, I got this associate athletic director's job uh, that I've created. I'm, I'm just getting ready to hire a new football coach. I need somebody that understands football. Um, I need somebody with business skills because I don't have any. And I want someone that's going to be loyal to me. And so uh, I drove up, met with him for a long time, and basically on a you know, napkin. He basically drew up what athletic administration was because I had no clue. And you know, so I left IBM and went to work for him. I left a lot of money behind at the time uh, from a cash flow point of view. Stock was pretty good. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, he, uh, he taught me the business. And uh, I, because of him, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm indebted to him, unfortunately, he passed away. He, uh, he taught me the business. And you know, for Monday through Thursday at 7 a.m., we would meet at this little coffee place and, and we talk for 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and then we go to work. And so he did that with me for weeks on end and because uh, I didn't know what I was doing. And But he every day he, he taught me a lesson. And so I'm indebted to him uh, for the opportunity to find a career. And, and uh, so that's how I got started. And he retired. And uh the, uh, I got. I was the interim athletic director at Eastern Michigan University for a little over 300 days, and uh, then I applied for the job, and I was not uh, in the top six. So uh, they asked me. I don't know why they asked me this, Mike. They asked me to tour the six finalists. I said, "This is awesome. I can sabotage these guys." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I toured them around campus. I did not sabotage them, but I, to I toured them around campus and. Uh, took the high road like my dad always taught me, and and um, and then out of the blue they called me. Uh, Roy Wilbanks, the vice president at that time, asked me to meet him at the Huron Bar, and uh, 
we had a beer and he offered me the job. And uh, so that's how it happened. And I'm so blessed to, to have this opportunity. This is so powerful because everyone sees who you are now. And, and, and I think you're the best AD in the country. But uh, this is powerful to kind of hear the origin uh, of where you came from. When you made that shift from IBM to be an athletic director, what was your mindset? Were you, was it daunting to do something that you've never done before or did it excite you more than scare you? It, it, yeah, you know, it, it excited me. And uh, uh, sure, I had trepidation and uh, because you, you have uncertainty and, you, you know, I was moving from South Bend to, you know, to um, uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan. And, you know, and so I never, you know, worked that way in higher education. And so I, I had a lot to learn. And um, I burned both ends of the candle and full days. And, um, but I was young and dumb and stupid, you know, and so you, you just go, right? you just like, you know, my dad was a electrician, electrician and I grew up in a labor environment. So you just worked hard, you know, work ethic was, was the thing that, that, you know, you, you put your, everything into was just outwork people. And, uh, over time I figured out how to, Outwork and outsmart, but at the beginning it was just outwork. So I wasn't scared. I just went to work. And but I, I think, you know, my blessing from what we talked about earlier, Chanel and Notre Dame playing sports. Um, I, I I didn't know it at the time, but I think my interpersonal skills, my my emotional intelligence was was pretty high. Um, you know, I wasn't the smartest guy in the world, um, but I I had this. Uh, uncanny ability to relate to people, uh, to, uh, to evaluate people, to uh, motivate and inspire people, bring people together. Um, you know, my my degree was in business administration at Notre Dame, but the courses that I love was personnel management, group dynamics, uh, strategy and policy. And I held on to those books up until I think two years ago uh, when my wife, Sheila, cleared out our bookshelves and we moved to a condo. But those books I had all my life. And there were times I go in and look at the highlighted yellow pieces as I was doing my work. So I wasn't scared. I was just, I just dove into it, but I, I listened a lot. I learned a lot. And then I, I was, you know, I think I, I made an impact because of my interpersonal skills. Learning a lot um, is, is, I think, one of the hallmarks of your life because you read all the time. Uh, if anybody who knows Gene Smith, He's in book clubs. He has a book a month that he reads, and it just it, it inspires me to read more. And knowledge is power. With right. that being said, who was some of your biggest inspirations uh, along the way? You know, uh, you know, my parents, I was blessed. I had two great parents. They were hardworking parents. And so they, you know, they taught me work ethic, um, taught me respect for people. Um, you know, my dad, was an electrician, as I said, and so from the time I was five till I left to go to school, to college, I worked with him in the summer times on weekends, and you know I listened to him preach in the truck as we went to work, and preach in the truck on the way back. <laughs> These sayings that came from from him, you know, one of them was "Do the eyes of others you see yourself." I don't know who he stole that quote from, but he used to preach that all the preach that to me all the time, and. You know, let your let your heart be your guide, but let your mind draw the line. I guess I got all these things in my head, but he, you know, they were unbelievable to me. And and then you know, I was when I got in athletic administration, I had three mentors. 
Um, one was a guy by the name of Mike Cleary. He was the executive director of uh, NACTA, our, our National Association of Collegiate Directors of, of Athletics. Um, he was big into diversity. Um, uh, John McClendon, you might know that name. Yeah. Black, black coach. And, and uh, Mike, he and Mike were best friends. And, and um, Mike pulled me into NACTA and put me on all the committees. And, and uh, he just pulled me in and exposed me to all the old heads in the room. I learned so much just by listening. So I owe a great deal to Mike uh, because he was committed to diversity. And then uh, Cedric Dempsey used to be the athletic director at Arizona, became the president of uh, the NCAA. Uh, he was an unbelievable advisor. And then Delos Dodds, who was the longtime athletic director at Texas, uh, 30-something years. And uh, They were great advisors along the way, uh, three guys that I depended on, um, and they mentored me uh, along the way. And, uh, and those two said and Delos embraced me when I first started, and I think they, they sensed it. You know, I was kind of on an island sometimes in meetings, and uh, I'd go into a meeting, and, you know, the people would be sitting there, and Delos would say, hey, come over, sit over here. And, you know, so he pulled me in and said, did the same. So those three guys, uh, hugely instrumental, but um, probably the person that, that is the most important that has been an unbelievable friend and mentor is my wife, Sheila. Uh, I've been so blessed. Uh, she... So Canada played uh, basketball at the highest level, represented her country in the Olympics and became a basketball coach at Oregon and head coach at UNLV. And, and uh, she studied leadership and taught leadership. And And I think when, when, when I met her, uh, was my thirst for reading leadership books really uh, picked up and we used to talk about leadership all the time. And I wasn't the best public speaker. Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't the best at articulating words. And so she would help me with my speeches and help me practice words that I struggled saying correctly. So she's, uh, she's been, uh, you know, she's, when I think about it in, in the aggregate, um, besides my parents, she's been so instrumental in my, my life. Yeah, you can't mention Gene Smith without mentioning Sheila. Uh, power couple on so many levels. And Sheila is like Auntie Sheila. And, uh, We'll tell it to you straight. And be oh, right. There's no gray area, is there, Mike? No gray. No gray. No, no gray area. No topic that we won't cover. <laughs> she will say what you're thinking. Oh, um, exactly right. Exactly right. You got to be careful now. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Sheila's amazing. Oh, yeah. And has been a, a huge influence on a kid's life. Uh, going back to when you were one of two ADs, African-American ADs in the country, athletic directors in the country, were you thinking at that time of being a trailblazer or you just had your head down uh, moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's, it's interesting uh, mentoring some of the guys that I've mentored over the years. I've always told them, um, you know, it's a blessing and an honor uh, to be in this seat as, as a black AD. Uh, but that's not what you hold on to. Your goal is to be the best AD. Yeah. So years ago, um, that became kind of my mantra. You know, I used to get interviewed so often uh, back in the day, and, and I'd get that question, you know, and I'd say, you know, it's, it's, I'm proud, it's an honor uh, to be the only black athletic director in the you know, Mid-American Conference or the first black athletic director at Iowa State University or the first black athletic director as president of NACTA, blah, blah, blah. 
But I said, that's not, that's not what it's all about. What it's about for me is to be the best. And, and that's what I've always held true to. And I, and, and I held true to that because uh, I had an, a belief that if I failed, it would give an excuse for hiring authorities not to hire a black athletic director. And um, so some people could say that's a tremendous burden for a 29, uh, 30, 31-year-old athletic director back in the day. Um, but I looked at it as an opportunity. I knew then if I could be successful, I would open doors for others. Mm. And, and, I, and I could have the opportunity um, to um, be a person that student athletes and, and anybody else uh, who looked like me could say, oh, he, he can do that. I can do that. And, and we haven't had that. We didn't have that back in the day. Now we do. You know, Alan Green at Auburn. And Martin Jarman at UCLA and Ward Manuel up at that, you know, that team up north. I mean, all the all the young puppies that I I remember them going through the pipeline. <laughs> um, man, I'm just so proud of them. And, and Derek Gregg, who just left Tulsa, is going to the NCAA to be in charge of diversity and inclusion at the NCAA. I can just Carla Williams at Virginia, who's a basketball player in Georgia. I mean, she's she's just a stud. Um, and so I just Bernard Buer at Stanford say that Stanford has a black athletic director is just, it warms my heart. Mm-hmm. It just warms mm-hmm. my heart. And I just remember all those puppies back in the day and, and they've grown and, and they're leading. And so for me, when I think back to how I thought about it back then, um, which is what I've always done is said, Hey, I just got to be the best. If I get fired. It gives them an excuse. So I've always worked hard to, to set the standard. You're certainly a leader of leaders, and your leadership transcends uh, even being an athletic director. I think you're one of the top leaders in the country. And uh, so you go from Eastern Michigan to Iowa State. Uh, that's a long way away from Cleveland. Iowa, <laughs> <laughs> man. I remember Sheila. So back in the day, I, I was at Eastern for 10 years, eight years as athletic director, and then you know, I'd reached a point where I felt I did, did all I could do. And um, so I started applying for jobs. And back in the day, you know, affirmative action, EEOC was really strong. Mm-hmm. And, and people couldn't do interviews unless they demonstrated that they had a diverse pool. So obviously being uh, one of the few black athletic directors at that time, I was in almost every search. And, and I think I interviewed at nine places before I ended up at Iowa State. And I interviewed at places that I already knew who they were going to hire. And I remember said Dempsey told me, Gene, you got to go. You got to go do that interview. But said, we know we're going to hire. I'm just a token in the pool. He said, Gene, interviewing is a beauty contest. It's a beauty contest. And the more you do it, the better you're going to get. Go do it. And by, besides, you may impress somebody that may become a reference for you. So, you know, I just dragged myself and go do it. <laughs> and, uh, and he was right. And uh, Iowa State called me out of the blue. Somebody nominated me, and they called me out of the blue. And I remember Sheila and I sitting on my condo floor looking at the map, trying to figure out where the hell is Ames, Iowa. 
<laughs> and we thought we'd be there for two years, and we were there for seven, and fell in love with the place. It was a great experience. It really was. I had never been in. I'd never been in a farming community, or never been on a combine. And I remember getting on a combine and and uh, learning more about farming than I ever thought I would know coming out of Cleveland. I love that place. Wow. And then you go further from yeah. Iowa State to Arizona State. Yeah, you know, it was uh, that was another moment. You know, someone uh, nominated uh, me for that job, and and uh, Laddie Cool was the president at that time. I actually turned down the interview, and uh, he wow. came back and said, "Look, I'm going to be in Chicago. Can you at least fly and meet me in Chicago?" And, and, uh, and I finally did it because I was walking to, Sheila and I were walking the beach in Marco Island, Florida, uh, said Dempsey and his wife, Jean, were walking the beach. And he had heard that I had turned down the interview and and um, he stopped me dead in my traps and tracks and, and used some colorful language, like, what, blah, 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 what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I, and he goes, I said, what? He said, you, you're not going to interview at Arizona State. You need to do that interview. And so... I ended up meeting Laddie in Chicago and fell in love with him. Uh, did not see Arizona State at all uh, because my world is about people. And if I have a president that I can work with and, and appreciate, you know, we were supposed to meet for 30 minutes. We ain't met for 90. And I fell in love with him. And so left Iowa State, went to Arizona State. Um, uh, probably my hardest job. Uh, mm. Great experience, but it was my hardest job. And Learned a lot um, about a lot of things. Learned a lot about myself. Phoenix at that particular time, 2000, 2005, and it's still this way, was, was the entertainment dollar was stretched. You know, everything's there, Mike, right? 200 golf courses, which was awesome. And uh, <laughs> 200 golf courses. But, you know, they had the Diamondbacks. They, you know, they had the Cardinals. They, you know, they had, you know, Phoenix Suns, they had everything there that stretched the entertainment dollar. And th- three quarters of the people in the Valley were not from the Valley. They're from Kansas. They're, mm. from, they're from Ohio. And they, they, were, they didn't have an affinity for the environment. And so you really, from a marketing point of view, if, if you weren't like performing at the highest level, you better be good. You better have great marketing strategies and you better be good. So it was a hard job, uh, a lot of money, so you could fundraise, but uh, it was a tough job, and I learned a lot about myself there. So at this point now, you you've uh, had um, accumulated a track record of just betting on yourself uh, and taking risk, and uh, that is probably one of the core values you have of just taking risk and, and jumping into the the river. Man, you take the biggest jump from Arizona State to the Ohio State University. Talk about that transition uh, to this massive uh, opportunity. Wow. So that was another moment. Um, you know, I someone nominated me. And, and um, uh, everywhere I've been, I've tried to leave, not leave a place unfinished. I wanted to accomplish my goals. And, um, you know, I felt that at Eastern. I felt that at Iowa State when I left. At Arizona State, I had many more things to get done. And so I turned down the interview to Ohio State twice. And Sheila and a, a good friend of hers, uh, 
were having a conversation over some wine and, and Jewel Parker Rhodes, who's a creative writer, uh, outstanding writer uh, at Arizona State, a good friend. And, and um, they challenged me. They, you know, she started it. She said, you have an obligation as, a, as an African-American to uh, interview for that job and, and consider it. And it, it, it caused me pause. And so I really didn't want to do it, but they were right. Uh, I remember that Sunday morning, I had to fly to Dallas and do the interview, and I really didn't want to do it. I was in, the, in our bedroom. I had my jacket on, and, and I wasn't going to wear a tie. <laughs> you got to wear a tie. And I said, okay, I'll put on a tie. It was the best interview I ever gave because I didn't care. <laughs> but I did connect uh, Joel Ludo, who was the uh, dean of the College of Business at the time. He was chair of the committee, and he and I just connected. Uh, they had a big community, big committee, and, and um, uh, he and I connected. Obviously, my degrees in business administration, uh, my course, being an entrepreneur, and so he, he and I connected. And next thing you know, um, I'm getting all these calls and. I actually turned it down uh, even after that because uh, I was I just had so much I needed to do at Arizona State and I had asked a lot of people and invested in the vision that that we had there and I felt guilty and uh, uh, but anyway so and plus Mike I had a pool <laughs> I had a jacuzzi that said eight people I lived on Oncala Country Club golf course oh. and I was on the tenth tee box. Oh, and backyard gate opened up right onto the golf course. And I was looking outside my backyard. I was looking at the mountains. I'm from the east side of Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back to Columbus, Ohio. Right. That's in my backyard. Right. So right. anyway, you know, oh. like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I was barbecuing on Christmas Day on my patio. Man. <laughs> so. Anyway, I obviously I ended up taking it. It was one of the greatest moves that she and I ever made was, was coming here and uh, it just provided tremendous opportunities um, in so many different ways. And so I, <laughs> I, went, I went through a little process to get here, but uh, we pulled it off and came and, and it's, uh, it's my last stop. Yep. One of the great hires ever uh, at Ohio State was, was you and Sheila come on board. How, how important has vision been to you? Um, you've kind of expressed that a little bit throughout the podcast, but you, you had to have vision by coming to Ohio State. You're in a sweet spot at Arizona State and you come to Ohio State and there's some holes here when you get here, obviously, and some things that need to be accomplished. And Andy Geiger preceded you before you got here with my AD when I played at Ohio State. How, how big has vision been for you in this whole process? It's huge. It's massive. And, and you know, you when you work with a group of people and you're the leader, um, you have to be authoritative in where you want to go. Uh, people want to understand uh, what's the direction. And so uh, it's a great book by Michael Watkins that Sheila had introduced me to. Uh, it's, uh, it's called The First 90 Days. It's an easy read. So any, um, any leader that's going through a transition, you know, most important thing they do is, is listen and learn and ask questions. And you don't get that opportunity to be, you know, stupid and curious, <laughs> you know. So 
after a certain point of time. So, and you just listen and learn. And then based upon that, you can establish your vision and you have some fundamental things that, that you hold true to your values and, and those type of things. But you need to truly understand the environment and its capacity um, before you actually um, set uh, a quantitative vision. And so I went through that process and, and um, uh, assessed what needed to be done. Uh, at Ohio State to allow us to become preeminent. Uh, we were good, uh, but we weren't preeminent. Uh, I wanted to be a, the institution that, that everyone uh, it wanted to emulate. And um, there, there's, there's a lot in between that uh, to get there. But um, once I learned the environment and what our capacity was, it was pretty easy for me to set the vision. Did those experiences at Eastern Michigan, Iowa State, Arizona State prepare you for some of the decisions you had to make with Ohio State? Oh, no question. No question. And, and you know, one of the things, um, you know, we did not do as good a job as we should have done uh, with developing a total student-athlete development program. Um, you know, we had exceptional athletes in so many different ways. And, um, but, you know, we, we were not as focused as we should have been on the, the development of the person, uh, in our mm. and, um, at, at Iowa state and East and Arizona state in particular, uh, that became one of my deepest passions. Uh, we did it at Eastern Michigan, but I didn't have the total wherewithal, uh, financially. And I was still learning, uh, to implement all the programs that, uh, you needed to have in place in order to focus on the, the person. And so that became a big passion of mine. Uh, and I, and I, all the things that I did at Iowa State and, and Arizona State uh, allowed me to build the two box that I needed, uh, that I ultimately implemented and used here at Ohio State and was able to add on to because um, of the resources here and the environment here and the access to talent, uh, people who could come in and, and help. Um, so that became a, a huge passion of mine, but I, I learned a lot of that talent and skill from my experiences at Iowa State and, and Arizona State. And uh, we just, it's a primary focus of mine here. I'm going to talk about legacy or ask you about legacy in a few minutes, but I want to, I want to tap into something because the podcast has been very like celebratory of what you've been able to accomplish and how you've handled success. Talk about how to handle adversity because yeah. as great as your journey has been, there's been some bumps in the road as a leader of universities. How have you been able to handle adversity and what's your mindset with that? Yeah, no, there's, there's been a lot of challenges along the way everywhere from, you know, the worst experiences when you, you lose a student athlete to death and, mm -hmm with that and there's there's nothing worse than that and and then you you know i've had to you know make um, personnel changes you know and, and some of them were very challenging uh, i had some nc investigations so i've had a number of different things that um you know have have been been real challenging uh, but that gets a little bit to um you know the, the betting on yourself and for me and and, and that conversation I shared about being selfish. Um, you know, when we went through the 2011 NCAA uh, situation here, 
and and all the issues around that. Uh, one thing, and even uh, with the, the COVID issues and you know the postponement of our fall sports, the one thing I always knew about myself was uh, I had to take care of myself. Um, I'd had to stay in my regiment and, and in order to keep my mind clear, to keep my emotions clear. And, so, you know, I, I work out every morning. I work out every morning and, uh, you know, at least five times a week, sometimes six, um, just to take care of me and, and make sure that uh, physically and emotionally and mentally I'm in the right frame of mind to eat. Um, in 2011, I remember when I was coming back from New York, I was on the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee and, and coming back to our NCAA case and, and um, I landed early in the morning. My team was meeting already. There's about nine people in the conference room and they have papers everywhere, stuff up on the boards. And I walk in the room and, you know, we thought we were at a funeral. And I could have uh, continued uh, with that attitude, um, but I didn't. I told a joke and, uh, and it lifted the spirits in the room. You know, the best time to make a good decision is at the top of the mood elevator when you're feeling good, yeah. you're happy, and, you know, that uh, when you're down in the dumps, it's hard to make a good decision. Mm. So um, I've always said to myself, um, in all of those situations when you encounter them, uh, you first and foremost have to be grounded. You have to make sure you're in a place where you feel comfortable, you can make rational, reasonable, prudent decisions. And I know if I haven't worked out in the next number of days, I'm the worst person to be so self-awareness is critical. And then you have to make sure you pay attention to your teammates because you're not making these decisions alone. You're not going through that, that challenge alone. You need your teammates to be the best that they can be. And so I really focus on uh, my team that's helping me and helping us get through whatever that challenge might be. Mm. Uh, so I, I get real focused when we are, are in those storms. And uh, uh, so it's, but it starts with me. How much pressure, and I know you're a leader of leaders, how much pressure is it to lead in these times with COVID, with social unrest? The 2020 has been an, an incredible year. Oh, well, that's <laughs> a book myself, Mike. You know, <laughs> a lot of things in my life are chapters. <laughs> she was really writing a book already. It was like chapter after chapter. Like, no, no, 2020 is going to be a book. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And I think you stood out uh, <laughs> uh, in this time because there's so much pressure to leave right now. And I want to get your thoughts on that and how you even mentor the Martins and the Pat Chuns and all these leaders that are under you. It, it's a unique time to lead right now. Yeah, it is. It is. It gets back to that part of being grounded and and um, yeah. being helpful. And you know, with a lot of my colleagues across the country, and I get a lot of calls now because they want to get advice. And and um, and so I I always just make sure I'm, I'm patient and thoughtful and, mm-hmm. and um, share from from my perspective. But you know you. And and because I've been at it a long time, I I've seen so many things, and I know with the social injustice issues, you know, I I lived in Cleveland, five blocks away from uh, the '66 riots on, on Euclid and, and 
Huff, Hunter and Five, all that. And, and so I've seen it before. And I, and I knew that this was a unique one. But I also have a lot of young people in our athletic department that have not. And so, you know, making sure that I implemented measures to help them uh, with our student athletes. Uh, we help them uh, find their way uh, to deal with that challenge, uh, be able to express themselves freely in the right way um, and keep it in front of them. So there's there are so many different things where I, I said to myself, OK, I have to make sure that I can avail myself to help my my team, my teammates and everyone move through these challenges um, and, and be focused and come out the other side. And uh, you know, the social injustice issue is, is going to be with us for a long time. And, and, and But for the first time in my life, I feel like we have a chance to change things because we're looking at the systemic things. We're not just looking at the individual behavior uh, that occurred uh, that took us to where we are, but we're looking at the structural issues, that, you know, the redlining and, and all the things that mm-hmm. uh, have always been there, but now we're pulling back the onion and getting at them. And so I, I, I'm really encouraged by that. And, and then COVID, you know, we, you know, it's just a whole new ballgame. People are dying and people on respirators is, is, is one that you you have to say to yourself, there will be sacrifices. And um, mm-hmm. so you just try, got to help people get to them. So for those who don't know Gene Smith, he's a fierce competitor. And I see <laughs> it every weekend. Um, last, I don't know, 10 years, yeah. he's been my partner. We lost the last uh, two, man. <laughs> Finally, they win two matches and they think like you're world beaters. Exactly. We were dominating early in the spring and summer, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Gene is, uh, he's ultra competitive. And I think that competitive nature has driven you even through yeah, tough no times. No question. As a leader. You know, um, you, know you, 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 you hate to lose. And, um, yeah. you know, you, you're faced with uh, challenges and, and you want to come out the other side. I, I just did a webinar with my staff on the other day yesterday and 527 people were on the webinar and it was a difficult webinar because we have canceled our fall sports we're not going to have football this fall um, I fought up until the day before and realized there was nothing that I could do to turn back the decision and um, uh, we're going to take some real challenges we got a 110 million dollar deficit that we're going to incur uh, so all of us have to make personal sacrifices and and um, but I, I couldn't go on that webinar and be gloom and doom. I, I got to I got to find a way to deliver the message uh, that everyone already knew because I have socialized it over time. Um, but I have to d- d- deliver the finality of where we are and, and do it in a sensitive and humanistic way. Um, but uh, try and bring levity and uh, so to. It was about a 45-minute webinar, a couple other speakers on the agenda. And I never know, um, particularly now with these, you know, because you're not in person. If I was doing an all-staff meeting in person, I'd know if I was winning the room. Um, but in this case, you just don't know. And I don't know how many text messages I got within the first 10 minutes after the webinar was over. And I know, and I, I had acclamation. I had, uh, I was, it was affirmed. Uh, that I had one room, 
And, and when I give speeches or when I do those type of things, um, my objective is to win the room, is stature and presence, mm-hmm. and it's to, to make sure my, my message is clear and concise um, and make sure that I bring some levity to the environment um, and, and that when people leave, they, they feel good. They, they felt like it was uh, worth their time to be there and listen to me. And um, these times when you don't see people, I don't know, my only affirmation was getting those text messages. And, and, I, and I knew that I won. I won the room. So everything I do uh, is to win. It's to win, even, even on that level. I don't care what it is. And I go into individual yeah. meetings with people individually. And, you know, I, I want, when they walk out, I want them to remember the meeting. I learned a long time ago. I tell kids this today. You know, kids today, they, you know, they, they, you know, they, they go into athletic administration and their first question is, how do I get your job? You know, <laughs> the best job in the world. I ask them, what's the best job in the world? And, you know, they start rattling off stuff. And I tell them, no, the best job in the world is the job you have. Do that job excellently. Differentiate yourself. When you wow. when you do the job that you hired to do and you do it excellently, when you leave, you're missed. Be that person that's missed. Don't be that person like glad he's gone. So, so everything I try, everything I do, is to win. Wow. Well, I experience it every week and every week, <laughs> and you know. <laughs> It's 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 fierce. I, I I mean, your resume with Ohio State, the athletic department, we're clearly, you know, one of the top schools every year as far as athletic performance academically and also athletically. And you've won a number of national championships throughout your time here at Ohio State. Um, each and every program has thrived uh, for the most part under your leadership. What's the proudest moment for you out of OSU? Oh, my God. I can't say that, that there's one. There's, there's many of them, you know. Yeah. I, you know, winning contests, you know, are huge. You know, um, you know, winning the national championship in football, winning the national championship in wrestling, I just go on and on uh, in that space. But, you know, I have to share that we, we've changed the culture, Mike. You know, when I first came here, meeting with my coaches and, you know, some of our Olympic sport coaches, um, I never forget a couple of them telling me we can't beat Stanford in recruiting. And, and then I begin to dig in and understand why. And, and part of it, we needed institutionally to change our academic profile. So I kind of caught it, that issue in stride where I said, okay, we have to change our academic profile in the athletic department consistent with the academic profile that was developing with the institution. So I can, so our coaches can sit in the living room of parents and convince them that our academic stature and presence was great at Stanford's. And now we're there. And, and um, you know, recruiting uh, against Stanford and beating them in the recruiting game is huge for me. And, and, and being able to differentiate ourselves, Not 90% of, 92% of our student athletes who graduated this past year, before they walked across the stage, they knew um, where they were going. They, they had a job. They were going to graduate school. 
they're signed or have signed or signed a professional contract uh, or taking time to chase the Olympics. The, our goal is to help our young people get to their next chapter in life. They go to college to work. Yeah. Well, we got to help them figure that out. And so changing that whole culture, Mike, uh, academically, changing the culture around, um, you know, I remember when I implemented the policy years ago, in your sophomore year, you have to have a resume. And I was a complete idiot. I was tracking it week to week. I'd call coaches and say, so-and-so, they don't have their resume done. You tell them next week they're not practicing unless they get that resume done. Wow. So you had to implement those type of punitive measures to change the culture. Then it became just the culture. And so because you're changing behavior to get the culture. And so ultimately getting people to think in their junior year, if you want to go to grad school and you need to start, you know, applying, um, you know, before the, the deadline. So we have 63 of our graduates this past year are, are going to graduate school. And that that's the largest number ever uh, because we've changed this, the thought process that, you know, you don't have to go out. If you don't know what you want to do, we can help you get into grad school, help you get financial assistance, going to grad school, and you can figure it out. And so, I don't know. Those things, Mike, I'm so proud of besides the wins. Um, I'm just so proud of those accomplishments. I think your legacy will be people. I think your legacy will be beyond the, 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 the new facilities and infrastructure. I think it will be people. And uh, we will miss you when you're from the university uh, at some point. Uh, I don't know when that is. We talk about it a lot. No, <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. I know, I know. Sheila tells me. <laughs> oh man, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a sad day, but a, but a glorious day. Uh, what's next for you in the next you know few years? Goals that you have, and well, we got to get through this COVID. Yeah, you know, leading our team uh, to get through a, a, a different uh, way to operate and get to our new next and, and redefine our new next. Uh, you know, I have some things that I want to try and do uh, structurally uh, for uh, intercollegiate athletics. Um, I'll begin to look at that in 21. I think our, from a governance point of view, we need to, to make some changes, do some tweaks. Yeah. So we can, can do a better job. I, I want to see NIL uh, implemented the right way uh, next year. And we still have a lot of work around that. I think that's a huge game changer for a lot of student athletes. Everybody thinks about the top athlete, but I think for our Olympic sport athletes who are on partial aid, yeah, uh, those kids will benefit in a big way. And, and uh, but I, uh, I, there's things uh, that I in this career, uh, and hopefully here at Ohio State, uh, that I I have as goals, things I want to focus on, and and besides getting with you back on the golf course to to spank a couple guys. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to. It. I think we played a couple of days, so exactly. looking forward to it. Uh, if you had to go back and 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 talk to your 16 year old self, what would you tell yourself? Oh, you know, slow down. You know, uh, early in life, I made so many mistakes because I was I was driven by work ethic, and and um, I could have done a better job a, a lot of ways. If I had just uh, slowed down, I uh, think back to my time uh, in 
in Eastern Michigan, even my time at IBM when I was selling computers and driving to an industrial park and doing cold calls. I mean, just slow down. And, and, and I would have been much more effective uh, in those environments at an early age. Uh, you know, when I was, I went to Chanel High School. Um, and that was, uh, you know, the riots had just ended. It was the height of the civil rights movement. I was a black kid busing to a white neighborhood and with an all white school, all boys. Um, my first year, I made a lot of mistakes. I really did. And, and uh, so I was trying to prove myself. I just just slow down and been all right. I would you'd be all right if you just slow down. Yeah, it's it's I think one of the things that you've done as well is is and we may have talked about this, you having the ability to bet on yourself has oozed through you to the point to where you instill that into people. So I get a call about a month ago out of nowhere, after we me and you obviously have seen each other, but you call me and say, Hey, I want you to speak at the commencement this year. At, at, for the university, for our graduates. And it was like one of the great honors of my life. And I think you have an ability to kind of see the potential in people um, and challenge them to bet on themselves as well. So I think that's a great quality you have as well. Well, thanks, Mike. I, I, that gets back to trying to, uh, you know, there's a book by, uh, uh, I forgot who wrote this, oh, Max Dupree. And um, he talks about, People are the heart and soul of all that matters in life. And, and it's called the art of leadership. And he's right. And for me, is, you know, is, is people at, are at the core of everything we do. And if you can't figure out how to, you know, work with people from all walks of life, but also uh, try and assess people's values, talents, and skills, uh, as a leader, it's very difficult to create the team that you need to create in order to be successful. And so I don't only do that at work, I do that in my personal life and then understand that I have an opportunity uh, to help others uh, realize uh, experiences or help them chase their dreams. Um, so I, I see that, I see life as, as, as paying for it, as, as we say, as giving of yourself. Because uh, people are the heart and soul of all the matters. Couldn't have said it better. Ladies and gentlemen, Gene Smith, it's a pleasure, Gene. Thank you for being on with me today, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. What I love about Gene is his ability to motivate and challenge people to be better. He truly embodies the spirit of what it means to better yourself, and I'm honored to be his friend. I hope his story inspires you, too. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To read the show's notes, learn more about my work, or connect with me, visit michaelred.com. New episodes release every week on Monday, so make sure to subscribe if you want to stay up to date. Until next time, I'm Michael Red, and remember, you are the secret to your success.